Coming up on this week's show, author Z.A. Maxfield talks about her latest book, My Cowboy Freedom and Fleeing Body Parts. What's up with that? Also, we give our spoiler-free take on Gilmore Girls' A Year in the Life. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knauss. Welcome to episode 60 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com. And I'm Will from willknauss.com. I'm in a good mood today. Woohoo! Well, it's the end of the four-day Thanksgiving weekend. Yes, I am well-rested and well-fed. Indeed. And you, sir, have um, continued writing. Despite my my attempts to like derail you, and it's like, ah, take some time off. It's a holiday. That's because I'm already behind. I, I'm bad like that. I mean, but you have kept on trucking, and you are still on track with uh, Nano Ryan. Well, I wouldn't call it on track. I mean, it's November 27th, and even getting up early on a Sunday morning, which I don't normally do, uh, I'm only at uh, 39,459 words. I do not see it possible to cross 50K in the next three days. Not since I have to work on Monday anyway. Well, you're... <laughs> I say, I say pshaw to that. You're going to have a finished book by the end of the week. More than likely, yeah. The book, the first draft of the book that we're working on yeah. will likely get to the uh, to the conclusion by the end of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do see that, and I see hitting the 50 by the end of the week uh, as well. And the book will actually be a little over because the book had about 2,500 before Nano officially started. So it's not a bad thing. And to those of you who finished, congrats. I've seen many more people over the last few days finish up on Facebook. So congrats to you. To those who are still plugging on like I am, keep it going. And uh, congratulations in advance to those of you who will, in fact, cross your 50K mark uh, on or before November 30th. Yeah. Good job. Go, man, go. Keep typing. <laughs> uh, a couple other things that happened this week. I mentioned that Rivals uh, was near getting ready to go to production or to Audible last week, and indeed, indeed Audible did uh, turn it on sale on Wednesday, I believe it was, mm-hmm. if I remember the, the course of the last few days correctly. So what you're saying is, is that the audiobook for Rivals is now on sale. Indeed it is, at Audible, iTunes, and on Amazon. And... You know, I'll probably give away one here soon on the podcast in a couple of weeks. Once we once we get the paranormal giveaway over, because, you know, lately we've been giving away a lot of stuff on the podcast. So once we get past the paranormal giveaway, keep an eye out for some free Rivals audiobooks coming your way. Ooh, looking forward to that. And also this week, Love's Opening Night went up for pre-order on DreamSpinner. I did a cover reveal to my email list earlier this week. And then uh, at the same time, it went up for pre-order on DreamSpinner. So that's out there now as well. If you happen to want to pre-order it on Monday, the 28th, the day this podcast drops, it will still be part of DreamSpinner's 35% off sale for Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Thanksgiving weekend, etc. Who doesn't love a deal? Indeed. In fact, all of DreamSpinner's entire store is 35% off through uh, Monday. So yeah, just a little something-something if you didn't know about that already. Uh I will have links to my books at DreamSpinner in the show notes for anybody that's interested. Yeah, you should. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, a little theater news is happening on Monday the 28th as well. Uh, Phantom of the Opera, which has been the longest running show on Broadway since 2006, is celebrating its 12,000th performance. How's that for Crazy Town? That's a whole lot of falling chandeliers. Indeed. Mm. Falling chandeliers and people screaming and all kinds of stuff. Uh, yeah, 12,000 performances. This happens on Monday, November 28th for its evening performance. And that's just a f- like a month, two months ahead of its 29th anniversary on Broadway, which happens on January 26, 2017. Congratulations, Phantom of the Opera. That's crazy. Uh, to give a few other stats, because, you know, I kind of had to research a little bit when I found the statistic... Uh, Phantom has been the longest-running show on Broadway since January 10th, 2006. So more than 10 years now, Phantom has been number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it surpassed Cats, who at the time had 7,485 shows. Now, trailing behind Phantom right now in terms of shows that are still running, the 1996 revival of Chicago, which I kind of forgot about in thinking about this, 
Uh, currently has 8,318 performances. At least that's as of the last count that I could find, which was on November 23rd. Mm-hmm. Um, and The Lion King, which was what I thought the successor would have been, mm-hmm. uh, has 7,931 performances. So if you do the math, if Phantom closed on Monday, it'd be nine and a half years before either of these shows could catch up. <laughs> Crazy. Congratulations, Phantom. I remember in high school... Um, I was part of the drama crowd, the hip kids, of course, and um, <laughs> you you were only cool if you wore your Phantom shirt and had either seen Phantom or, well, Les Mis was in that group and so was Miss Saigon. <laughs> Those were the cool, hot new shows mm-hmm. that if you were a theater geek, you had to like know about or at least had memorized the double CD. Right. So. Did you have your Phantom shirt? No, I was never cool. You were Please. never cool. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Please. Please. Oh, that's funny. I remember I was trying to go see Phantom with Michael Crawford and uh, mm-hmm. Sarah. Uh, thank you, Sarah Brightman. I had saved up some money, but ended up and had to buy a car because my car died. Aww. And I did not get to see them. Um, I didn't see Phantom, I think, until 19... I want to say 89 or 90, somewhere uh, in college. Uh, I finally made it up there for work. So yay work for sending me to <laughs> sending me to see Phantom. All because I had that publishing job early. I had to go to New York to do something. And saw Phantom, Miss Saigon, Secret Garden, and Aspects of Love. Did boom, 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 boom. As we are wont to do to this day, seeing shows all in a row. Yeah. Congratulations once again to Phantom. Tis the season, and we here at the Big Gay Fiction Podcast are in a giving mood. Announcing our holiday paranormal paperback giveaway. We're giving you, our valued listeners, a chance to win a prize package filled with great reads, perfect for cozy winter nights in front of the fire. The grand prize package includes an autographed paperback of Soulstruck by Jacob Z. Flores, an autographed copy of The Grim Life by Katie Wirth, Plus, paperbacks of Jake C. Wallace's Soul Seekers and Dare to Love Forever. In addition, the grand prize winner and four runners-up will receive an audible download code for T.J. Clune's Wolf Song, narrated by Kurt Graves. To enter, go to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com or visit the official giveaway page at BigGayFictionPodcast.com slash holiday. You can't win if you don't enter, so visit BigGayFictionPodcast.com slash holiday before the Rafflecopter ends on Sunday, December 11th. So as we mentioned in the last show, one of the things that was on tap for this holiday weekend was spending Friday at the Gilmore Girls, which we did all six hours Friday. And it was awesome. Before you continue, I want to give a little bit of context. I think this is a bad habit of ours. We just blindly talk about stuff we like and just assume that everyone knows exactly what we're talking about. (laughs) When that isn't, you know, necessarily so. So, for those of you who don't know and have been living under a pop culture rock for the last, you know, decade, Gilmore Girls is a show that started on the WB... And if you don't know what the WB is, look it up. Um, It was a show, essentially, about a mother and a daughter who are best friends. And all of the family shenanigans that uh, happened over the course of several seasons uh, took place in the mythological New England town of Stars Hollow. Uh, which is probably, in my opinion, the, the best use of the Warner Brothers back lot to date. I would agree with that, yes. Yes. For millions of fans, with Warner Brothers' backlot is Stars Hollow, and yes. vice versa. To the, to the point that it even called out an episode of Supernatural recently, mm. uh, which was all you know kind of funny because Jared Padalecki spent several seasons in Stars Hollow, and then he and uh, Dean on that show uh, went to, I don't know why they were on the WB backlot, but they were, and they were mentioned that was Stars Hollow. So the Gilmore Girls ran for six good seasons, one season we all want to forget, uh, before it went off the air. Uh, it then came out on DVD and ended up streaming on Netflix, where it found and, an entire... Well, you forget, too, that for years it was on ABC Family, every single day, 
Yes, it was. Every even, single day. And yes. even then it turned in, when it became Freeform, I think Gilmore Girls is still on every day. And it's also on a cable channel called Up. So anyways, syndication and streaming video has given the show brand new life and uh, new interest in the show, which led to this new quote-unquote season. It's really just four movies that continue where the show left off. Yep. Now, now that our audience is up to date, let's talk about the six-hour uh, extravaganza that we experienced on Friday. Yes, it was called A Year in the Life. Each 90-minute movie took took place in a season, so it was winter, spring, summer, and fall, uh, which also riffs on a Carol King song, and Carol King uh, did the theme to get, well, one of her songs was used as the theme to the Gilmore Girls. I don't think she wrote it for that particular show. It existed well before the show, before the show did. Um, I loved this, what could be the final episodes of Gilmore Girls ever. Uh, it's unknown if it's going to continue from here, but I relished these six hours of Gilmore Girls from start to finish. It was wonderful to come back, see where everybody had gone in 10 years since the show went off the air, um, to see Rory in her career and where it was going at the time, uh, to come back and see Lorelai and the relationship that she'd finally made with Luke. Uh, and I don't think I'm giving spoilers here because all this was pretty much out there before the show ever started, if you were reading anything in the media. Uh, and it was great to see pretty much everybody come back for at least a minute or two uh, of interaction throughout the series. And that even included Melissa McCarthy, who's gone on to, you know, quite the movie career uh, since the Gilmore Girls went off the air. Uh, I think my favorite... Uh, I was thrilled to see Dean back because I've always been Team Dean. Uh, and they had a really nice moment, I thought. I loved Paris. I think Paris probably had the best of any of the returning cast. Um, and I also like where the where it wrapped up at the end. Uh, the, final, the final words into the final blackout. Um, I know some people are annoyed that the series ended where it did but i if this is the end of the gilmore girls i am perfectly happy with it what are your thoughts sir my thoughts are um these four movies essentially took the three gilmore girls uh emily lorelei and rory and it sort of explored where they are in their lives now 10 years after the original show ended. And all of them are in a state of flux. All of them feel stuck in one way or another. And the four movies essentially detail how they get their lives moving again and their attempts at moving forward mm. from the, the various things that have happened to them. Uh, of course, Emily is dealing with the death of Richard and it takes uh, four, four movies uh, and some very interesting ways for her to get her life back on track. And Lorelai feels she's, ha I think could be summed up as Lorelai is happy, but she's sort of in a rut. Uh, in a rut, a restless something. Yeah, yeah, restless is a very good word. As she takes off on the, what is some sort of like the Reese Witherspoon Appalachian Trail, whatever, th whatever that thing is, the wild thing. She does the wild thing in in the fourth movie, uh, which is ridiculous, but really, really funny. But really, Lorelai too at the same time. <laughs> uh, Rory's career has sort of flatlined, and uh, her life is uh, a bit in a mess. Uh, concerning the men in Rory's life, uh, I do agree the um, short scene that Rory has with Dean is very nice and it kind of puts a bow on their relationship. Um, Jess does come back to Stars Hollow to help Luke um, get Liz and TJ out of a vegetable cult. Um, so, which is, you know, of course, typical. That could of, be a movie on its own, of probably. Course, of course, that's why he came back. Uh, so he has to, um, he talks to Rory and inspires Rory, uh, looks longingly at Rory through a window, which is Jess's thing. He's really good at that, so that's what he does. <laughs> um, 
and uh, the 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 boyfriend who gets the most screen time is, of course, my least favorite, Logan. Uh, he uh, is still a rich douchebag after all these years uh, living in Paris and Rory London. London? London. London. They also make out in Paris, too, don't they? No. Oh. They I talk can... about having gone to Paris, but they don't go to Paris. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. Uh, Logan is still a douche, but he's a really hot douche. Those years he spent on The Good Wife uh, did him good. Yeah. Uh, he's ripped. Good, good on you, Logan, but <laughs> I still hate you. Um, <laughs> uh, I mentioned to Jeff, I hated the Life and Death Brigade stuff. To me, that was like being in a Baz Luhrmann movie all of a sudden. Um, it was stupid back in the day. It's still stupid now. So, um, you know, hardcore fans are going to watch the entire thing. But if you wanted to, you know, fast forward through the Life and Death Brigade stuff, you know, it wouldn't harm the narrative at all. Um, <laughs> That's very true. Uh, I adored Paris's return. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was weird and strange and absolutely hilarious. Paris is now the head of a surrogacy clinic. Now you're borderlining on on, on spoiler material here. Uh, no, but this is <laughs> it's just really really funny because of course of course she's the head of a surrogacy clinic. Of course she is. That makes perfect sense. Uh, and she and Rory go back to Chilton, where that's hysterical. Where she, where, <laughs> where Paris fleetingly sees an old flame and has a complete Paris meltdown, which Paris is excellent at. She always has been. Yeah, uh, it's really, really funny, including a run-in with Francie, <laughs> which is just I, I love Paris to death, and I think the show did right by her. Yeah. Um, as for the. Final four words, um, for me personally, it was like, meh, whatever, you know? If that's, I mean, Amy Sherman Palladino, if that's your bag and that's what you want to do, then, you know, good on you. Um, I will say, to throw in that, because I didn't mention this in mine, I think episode two, pay sharp attention in episode two, because I think the biggest revelation of the entire show (laughs) is a throwaway scene in the town center, and that's all I'm going to say, but it's there, and it's like, oh my god, look at that! Yeah, it's kind of genius. Anyway, needless to say, we sat there for six hours on Friday, and enjoyed every minute of it. We laughed, we cried, we loved it. Um, it's really, really good, and a very, very satisfying and fitting finale to the show. What we can assume is a finale to the show. Yeah. Uh of course, everyone is clamoring for more now since it's those last four words are kind of open ended. Yeah. So you can, of course, see if they wanted to continue in the future. I don't think there's going to be. I doubt it. But I think this was the perfect thing to happen at the perfect moment when they could get everybody together. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, spend some time on the Warner Brothers lot and shoot this stuff around everybody's. Rather busy schedule. Yeah. So. so, kudos, thumbs up. Gilmore Girls, A Year in the Life. Watch it. Yeah. Want to be among the first to know what's coming up on the Big Gay Fiction Podcast? Join the Big Gay Fiction Podcast monthly newsletter. As a subscriber, you'll get our exclusive coloring pages that you can download and color. You can even send us your artistic creations and we'll display them in our online gallery. Go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com and sign up on the homepage. So, not too long ago, you had the chance to sit down with Z.A. Maxfield, mm-hmm. or Zam, as her fans like to call her. Um, <laughs> you got to interview her, talk to her about her latest release, and really kind of get into her history, how she started writing, mm-hmm. uh, her journey as a writer. Um, it's a really good interview. Uh, I had a chance to sit down and listen to it with you, and uh, kudos, you did a really good job. Thank you. Okay. I think I think you're all going to enjoy it. Let's have a listen right now. So I'm very excited today to welcome Z.A. Maxfield to the podcast. Z.A., or Zam as she's known, uh, started writing in 2007 on a dare from her children. Pathologically disorganized and perennially optimistic, she writes as much as she can, reads as much as she dares, and enjoys her time with her family and friends. Three things reverberate throughout her stories, unconditional love, redemption, and the belief that miracles happen when we least expect them. Welcome, Zam. So happy you're here. 
Hi, good to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So, well, we had to have you on since you've got a new book coming out this month, uh, My Cowboy yep. Freedom. Yes, yes. Another cowboy book. It'll be the fifth in the My Cowboy series. So tell us what this one's about and how it fits into the series. Um, well, the original ranch in the series was the J-Bar Ranch, and that was in New Mexico. And two of our characters from the New Mexico Ranch come to work at the Rocking Sea in Texas. And this takes place at the Rocking Sea. So this will be the third book at the Rocking Sea. Or no, it's the second book at the Rocking Sea, but it's the third book with these same sort of characters. Anyway, the characters run through the whole series, but each book can be read standalone. Okay. And what's what's happening in, in Cowboy Freedom? Well, in My Cowboy Freedom, we have a character who is just released from prison. His name is Skyler. And he has worked, well, his father worked at the Rocking Sea, at the Rocking sea and Skyler, when he gets out of prison, is offered a job there. And it's, it's the perfect um, thing for him because he needs to find a place to live and he needs an employer. And so when he goes there, it's, it's a very insulated way for him to return to civilization, you know. And, and, and also, he really aspires to be a cowboy, it's been a dream. It's a long dream of his. So going back there means everything to him. Mm-hmm. What was your inspiration behind the cowboy books? Um, well, you know, I, I think just that sense of open space, maybe. I love that um, mystique of the cowboy uh, the kind of lone, lone wolf characters, um, and I think that it was just that kind of mystique. I, I can't put it any better than that. So this is the fifth book in the Cowboy series. Do you project more to come? Yes, I do. Um, right now, the fourth book featured a couple who are best friends, and they are married but they are not romantically in, involved and they are raising her child. And I liked her character. She's really hopelessly flawed. Her name is Andy um, and his name is Ryder. And as soon as the new town doctor comes into town, Ryder falls in love with the doctor and Andy is Ryder's biggest fan. I mean, Andy is the one pushing him toward the doctor and saying, no, no, go get it. Go, go find love. That's, you know, that's what everybody deserves. And she's his, his biggest um, proponent for making this work between the three of them. You know, both, all three of them end up at the end of the book sharing responsibility for the child. And um, Andy was quite, quite a, a real figure in my head. She was very real to me. So I actually asked Penguin if I could write her story. So I will be alternating my cowboy freedom with a book called Honky Tonk Hellion. And Andy is the Honky Tonk Hellion. Oh, and that is a be great an- title. <laughs> Thank you. And then, uh, well, Andy wants, Andy's a star. Andy was born to be a star and she, she wants this Nashville career and she wants, she loves the attention and she loves the mess and the chaos. And, and these two, uh, her, her husband who loves her very much and wants that for her has this new relationship and they're like, well, Hey, we will help you do this. We will, you know, the three of us will parent a child and we will, we will all have what we need. And so it becomes kind of a, a, a menage without sex with, you know, I mean, she's not involved in their romantic relationship at all. Mm-hmm. But I loved her because she was, she so throws herself. <laughs> she's like human Velcro. She just throws herself at whatever she wants. And she just takes no prisoners. And, and I liked her. I liked that about her. And I wanted to create this, hopelessly flawed character who wants more than 
probably she deserves. <laughs> and, and um, but finds a way to to make that work. And mm-hmm. and I love that. So I'm alternating one uh, cowboy book with one a honky tonk book. So there'll be a series of honky tonk stories about the people in the band and the people, you know, and those will be heterosexual romance stories. And then they'll be alternated with the cowboy stories. And I have uh, three more to do. So honky tonk hellion is next. And then there'll be another, my cowboy. And then one more honky tonk story, unless, you know, I don't know, but I think it'll be fun, and we'll see how it goes. I already have a cover and everything. Oh, cool! Very and like exciting. I said, I think it's a very cool title and I series think, name. I think so yeah. too. And and uh, she really is kind of a mess, but I like her. And uh, I think a lot of my characters start out really flawed, and uh, their flaws somehow dovetail with somebody else's rough edges. Like everybody's rough edges somehow fit together. And I th- that that may be a trademark of my work. Mm-hmm. So that, that actually kind of segues really nicely into what I kind of wanted to touch on next because you've been writing okay. now, you know, for nearly 10 years. And, yes. You yes. know, you, there's a few things like we talked about with the unconditional love and redemption and the belief that miracles happen. And now you talk about these, you know, kind of rough edges that fit together. Yeah. What else do you think is in the mix that makes uh, a Zam book a Zam book? Um, I, you know, I think those things, I, I really have to say, I come from a very sort of Capra-esque kind of, it's a wonderful life place in my head. You know, I really always want to make everything work. And I work really hard to, like when I have a super flawed character, find a person who can understand that flaw and live with it. And I think that's basically what it is. I mean, I, I, I want to find somebody to love every single flawed character I can think of. And so it takes just as much time to figure out it, who's going to love them as it is to figure out what their flaws are. <laughs> I don't know. But I just really, I just love that. I love the idea that, I mean, I think it goes back to Beauty and the Beast. You know, I mm-hmm. love the idea of taking this person who isn't what you expect or isn't what you planned or hoped for or, you know, I mean, but then something about them just draws you in. It's like something that comes from the inside. And I, I think that's probably the trademark is my flawed characters and finding love no matter what. Mm-hmm. I like the It's a Wonderful Life analogy as well because, yeah. and we'll talk about St. Nachos a little bit later, but uh-huh. I so see that in the St. Nachos books. Yeah, very much, very much. And mm-hmm. I, I think... Uh, you know, a lot of my, like, drawn together, you'll find a Capra-esque kind of, uh, you know, road trip story there, you mm-hmm. know, kind of. And, and I I do think that's probably, I think I grew up watching too many black and white movies, possibly. <laughs> I don't think that's possible to watch too many of them. No, I don't think so either. <laughs> I agree. Never too much. So as we're talking about the 10 years, I, I have to ask you this other thing from your bio, too. What Was the dare from your children just straight up go write a book, or was it more elaborative um, than that? It was. You know how you give your kids, you sit them all down, their little shiny faces at dinner table or whatever, and you say to them, well, let me tell you, you can be anything you want to be, um, but you have to like be reasonable about how you qualify that. And my... My thing is that you can do anything you want to do, right? You you can be a working actor, but you might not be Tom Cruise. You might not be a $20 million a picture working actor, but, but almost anybody could be a working actor. And that's that was my theory. And I said that to my kids. And, of course, they blinked back at me, and you could hear crickets chirping in there. <laughs> Oh, yeah, right. Mom's just talking again. Wah, 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 wah. And I said, what do you think? And they said, well, what did you want to be when you grew up? And I said, well, I was really wanted to be a writer. Or I actually really wanted to be a film director. But, you know, being a writer seemed like a more reasonable way to create a reality, you know, out of my head. 
it, and it didn't require investments by other people <laughs> and actors and directors and going to Hollywood and everything. So I said, well, I always really wanted to be a writer. And they said, well, why aren't you? <laughs> you know, just something that silly, just somebody saying, well, why aren't you a writer? Um, the question is, are you or are you not a writer? I mean, I had never sat down, never said, I'm going to write a book from start to finish. And I never really thought about it in those terms because it seemed, uh, you know, a million miles away. But every year I do the stupid book fair, you know, for my kids' school. And there's like a thousand books there. And somebody wrote every single one of them. And it probably with somebody just like me or you or whoever. So I thought, well, okay, I'm going to figure out how long a book is. So I like Googled how long is the average romance novel. And then I like took that number and I divided it by, you know, however many I thought, it, how many words does an average writer write per day? And I gave myself that many days. And the first day was the first day of um, spring break in 2007 and I for seven days my kids were super quiet and they watched me type you know and then <laughs> they went back to school and by June I had a book written and then I had another one and then I had an I mean I became just on fire with this oh my gosh I can pull words out of the air and put them and make them into a thing and this is magnificent and I had five books in that first year written simply because I just my kids said well why didn't you do it and I couldn't think of a good reason you know mm -hmm. good for them and yeah. good, for, good for us that they got you on that path well heck yeah it's paying for their college yeah <laughs> if, I, if I hadn't if they hadn't done that we'd be really really looking for cash in the couch cushions right now so how has your writing evolved in these 10 years from where you started to, to where, what you're doing today? You know, it's weird. I think in terms of enthusiasm, I mean, I started out with nothing but enthusiasm. I had no skill. I couldn't punctuate dialogue. My daughter, my eighth grade daughter, had to come in and show me that you put the period inside the quotes. And I... I didn't have, you know, I mean, I had a story sense. We, I think we all grow up with story sense from watching film. I, so I had this, I think I had an eye like a camera. And so I would go into a scene like a camera and exit a scene like a camera. I would move from one room to the next and I would leave characters behind and go and have the next characters talk and they would be different POV characters. So I really had no skill <laughs> it's head hopping and crazy but my enthusiasm and I think I have a, a gift for language that kind of made itself known in a weird way that people responded to so those first novels were not well written but very enthusiastic <laughs> and I think those are my most popular novels those are the ones that people again and again and again and again say that was my favorite. That was my favorite. You know, I, of all your books, I like the third one you wrote the best or the first one you wrote the best. And, and those still to this day remain my bestsellers, mm -hmm. which is weird because now that I have all this craft, it's like I've pulled back the enthusiasm because you're not supposed to be as enthusiastic about your own book while you're writing it. I don't know what it is, but I think I pulled back and in a way, I think the experience for the reader may have suffered from that lack of enthusiasm. It's not that I'm not enthusiastic. It's that I don't splat all over the page with enthusiasm <laughs> like I used to. Also, when you've done it for a long enough time, the editorial head, you know, the one that, you probably didn't have in the very beginning that sort of stifles you. You're second guessing yourself a lot in the in the later books that you don't second guess what you said in the first book because you don't know to second guess it. Yeah, I really try to as much as I can turn off the editing head at least while I'm first drafting. I try so hard now. I've. I mean, you know, you could almost liken it. If I have had two really complex editorial um, 
experiences in a row and no, well, they weren't in a row. They were, but, but I, I had two really complex editorial moments and, um, I'm trying to turn it off, but I, now I feel like sort of like a little bit, like I've got learned editing helplessness. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's like somebody's going to slap my hand if I type that. So I, I have to quick, like a bunny run back and untype it and say the thing I'm supposed to say. And it's stupid things like independent body parts, you know, he mm. flung an arm around his shoulders. Well, how many times do you say that? He flung an arm around his shoulders, but you know, then you think, well, Ew, he's flinging an arm. Whose arm, you know? <laughs> so your editor in your head sometimes just really can take over. Yeah. And after after 10 years, my editor has, has uh, really gotten a very loud and um, distinct and a little bit whiny voice now, my, my editing head. You need to put a gag on his mouth or her yes. mouth. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, you, we I, talked about this excitement a little bit. Is that what keeps you moving from like genre to genre, because over time there's been cowboys and crime books and paranormal and vampires. I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Um, what What keeps me moving? Yeah. In the beginning, yes, I, I really was looking for my voice, um, and trying to find where it felt most natural. And I would definitely say that my voice is kind of most natural probably in mystery or not mystery but maybe romantic suspense mm-hmm. I, I like a more plot driven book um and but i i don't know i don't I, when you find your voice it can be with van- i mean like i have the same voice with vampires i'm still using the same subjects they're still about flawed characters and redemption and my cowboys are still about flawed characters and redemption i think sometimes you just want to change up the setting a little bit does that make sense yeah keeps it interesting for you the writer gives the reader something different to look at yeah but in a in another way there's a branding problem there sure. <laughs> you know and and i am aware of that but i think when when all is said and done it's still going to be passionate stories and transformative love and you know sex which is what it says on my website mm-hmm. but i mean it's going to be those kinds of stories and even if it's about aliens or if it's about cave dwellers or if it's about you know dinosaurs dinosaur shifters i don't think i'll ever write dinosaur shifters but if it was about that they would definitely be about uh you know the same thing which is just finding tribe and right you know, happily ever after. And that's what hopefully your, your brand, the Zam, uh, the brand of Zam yeah. transcends the brands that the genres are associated with. Yeah, I, I think, I hope so. And because I, one of my editors, and, and I, it was funny because we talked about this just recently at a meeting that we had, but that I actually, what I actually write is women's fiction with, whatever character happens to be on my mind at the time. And I, so my gay fiction has been women's fiction with gay characters. And it's, it's leveraging evolutionary issues like resource and uh, family and legacy and birth and death and life, you know, and all these different sort of things that you think of as women's fiction. So they're not, as romance tropey or as romance heavy as other books in the same genre. Like you wouldn't really call my books, not all of them anyway, romance novels, because if you take the romance out, the plot is still there. You know, there's Mm. still like a guy worried about being worthy of his dad's legacy, which is, that's the, the whole thing of the cowboy books, almost all of them have a father's legacy angle somewhere. And, um, and that's not really a rope. That's not really a romance trope. That's really a women's fiction trope, but not a trope, but it's, it's kind of a women's fiction thing. So I don't know what I write actually, but whatever it is, that's, it's pretty much what I'm destined to write because it's pretty much what interests me. Mm -hmm. And um, so 
in a way, I kind of write women's fiction vampires and women's fiction uh, cowboys and women's fiction firefighters and women's fiction mysteries. You know, it's all, almost all of them have the same themes. I don't know. Interesting. It's, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I, don't you feel like a lot of the times we're feeling our way around blind, like what I'm going to write next and what is what is important to me today and do I have something that I want to say specifically or not? I mean, exactly. You've got a. There's all the talk these days about, you know, right to market. Right. But they always come back and temper it with, you've got to write what you're to passionate your, about, too. To your strength. Because, right. you know, if I was going to go off and write, you know, whatever's hot right now, you know. Right. Well, That yeah. well, might not all, excite yeah. me as much as what I'm doing. Exactly. And first, and, and inevitably, whatever's hot right now, this very minute, by the time you write something and they can get it to market, no, it's no, not going to no. be hot anymore. So, um, like, my wheelhouse has got to be family relationships, I think. I think that's mm -hmm. maybe right where I live. And um, so, you know, I think I could write in any genre about but that would still be where that's my sweet spot. Mm -hmm. if, if there is a sweet spot, I think, but I don't know. That's, I think that's, <laughs> it seems to be a continuing theme that I cannot put away. So I have never exhausted it yet. Yeah. Now, over your, your 10 years, you've, you've been with a number of types of publisher. You mentioned, mm -hmm. of course, that the, the My Cowboy books are with Penguin, so you're you're kind of big yeah. five there. there yeah, Berkeley Intermix is, yeah. Uh-huh. You've worked with uh, publishers within the, you know, gay romance right. genre, and you've also self-published. Yeah, yeah. What's your process um, for deciding where this work goes? My agent is the one that suggested the Cowboys for Berkeley because I think she had relationships there and she kind of knew that they were on the cusp of thinking outside the box a little bit. And so that's how that happened. I probably never aspired to say, in fact, it was kind of funny cause it was, it was a still really a fairly rough draft. And I sent it to my agent asking, I asked her if she had any ideas, if there were plot holes or whatever. And she just sent it on, you know. And I said, oh, my God, that was a first draft. She's like, that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wow. But, um, you know, the idea of cowboys is a very strong one. So, like, cowboys and firefighters and men in suits. There's, like, a romance hero pantheon kind of you know and cowboys are certainly definitely right up there with with but it's weird because my cowboys aren't very cowboy like <laughs> and um but yeah it's like i well i knew nothing you know going in i'm such a city girl to for me to write cowboys was like oh gosh this is a straight up learning curve okay so this is straw and this is hay and this is which is which you know and so I don't know. I um I don't even remember the question now. Isn't that terrible? What was that? Oh, well, oh, it was about publishing. Well, and I've worked with Lucid and Karina and Riptide and MLR Press. I have a a free short story with Dream Spinner, so I'm actually on their roster, but I'm not. And and I mean you know, I would write for any of these presses, they're just wonderful people. They've and Sam Hain, and they, they have really been uh, terrific to work with. Everybody has been. So, I enjoy working with indie presses because of the speed with which. I mean, they're very nimble, mm -hmm. and um, and I like working with Berkeley because it's getting my name out in a way with distribution channels, lots to libraries that you wouldn't have the opportunity to get through to with indie publishing. Um, and then the ones that I self pub are generally books that I've gotten back from contracts that have come back to me. 
And so I have never actually self-pubbed first. And that's next. But I, I, I have to figure out the actual book or the series and um, get myself the editing and everything and, and have all that in place. And, and so I have not done a self-pub first title. And I think that's probably what you're talking about. And uh, I'm interested in it because I think that if I were going to self-publish, I would write three um, and have them in the pocket first before I put the first one out. And I would put them out very close together and have that be kind of a thing. And so self-publishing is different than... um, but it is also nimble and and you and you can ma- manipulate how your uh, how you how you put each volume of the series out and make it really enticing and fun and i think that's next for that's for after my cowboy books are done because i have five books i think i have to i have five books under contract still until mm. the end of 2017 and then I might consider doing an actual self-published uh, series. But I, I do think in the future, if I do, we'll probably talk about this later, but if I do go back to St. Nachos, those will be self-published. Which would make sense since St. Nachos, when you re-released them, all came out under yeah, your, own, exactly. your own banner. What do you think of those pretty new covers? They're they were so pretty. so gorgeous. I think, or do they say romance to you? Or I... I was I was a little concerned that they say lonely man, you know, and I always think when I see a lonely man on the book cover, my first thought is who who's his boyfriend going to be? But I I don't know, maybe other people yeah, just see I, travel story or something. I don't I know. I may so. approach it wrong since I've read them and I can look at those covers and go, wow, that just fits that story. Does perfectly. It? Oh, my goodness, those um, were those were such beautiful covers by Fiona Jade Media, and it was just marvelous. I mean, if you were going to put a movie poster for those, I could just, yes. you know, see that. She just did a beautiful job on those. They they were stunning. They were so stunning. She's done all of my audiobook covers that I've had her do. That that the audio Audible bought several titles, and I had to have audiobook covers made. And so she, when she did the audiobook covers, I had her do the regular covers, too, because I said, whenever those come back to me, they are going up with those covers. They are so beautiful. She did a beautiful job. So let's actually talk St. Nachos a little bit. Okay. As, as, you, as you well know, that's like my favorite series of yours. Yes. Um, oh, thank you so much. I just, See, I just, again, that's one of my first, and I think the enthusiasm and the maybe just the Maybe it's a kind of an enthusiastic laugh, lack of craftsmanship, but I, I think I took more chances back in the day than I do now. Well, you certainly, you know, set up the mystical type town. I mean, there's nothing paranormal there that's really happening, right? But there's, no, this, uh-uh. there's this feel of this town that you just yes. want to go and live there because of the people and the vibe of it. I mean, yeah. I could aqu- the only thing I could think to equate it to is like I wouldn't mind going to live in Stars Hollow because right. to hang out with the Gilmore Girls and go to Luke's, right? Yes, exactly. And, I was you know, when I was writing it, I was reminded of Brigadoon too. Like like it's a place that is kind of invisible unless you need it. Sure. Yeah. You know, that you would just drive right past it and you wouldn't even think about it unless you needed it. And that was, I think that's the idea that I started with going in. And so my most fun one was to create a character who didn't need it, didn't get it, didn't want it, didn't want to be drawn into it. And and when I did the book of Daniel, I mean, he ends up living just on the other side of the road from it. He can't even move in to St. Nachos. Right. You know, it's, it's it's like he's Moses and he gets just this close and no closer, yeah. you know. I'm fine and, right here. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't want to be subsumed by it. I can go to dinner over there, but I can't live in it. <laughs> exactly. That's where my firefighter boyfriend works, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I know. I was that was fun and I had fun writing those very much and I I think I really do want to go back, but I have to be in that mindset and sometimes it's hard when you're mm-hmm. a writer to go back. 
I had the hardest time writing the third book in the vampire series because I just didn't have the voice anymore. You know, the voice was gone. Auden's voice. Then I put Dante's voice in, which I had never done before. And it was a little bit of a different story. So as much as I enjoyed writing it and I enjoyed finishing up that series, I, it was hard to go back. So sometimes I think if you're going to write a whole series in a in a certain town or something, boy, do not stop, do not pass go, don't do anything else, mm-hmm. because if once you lose that place in your head, it's, it's really hard to get it back. Did you enjoy revisiting Saint Nachos for the for the audio releases and then the paperback and then the ebook re-releases? Yes, I did, and. Um, Sometimes I surprise myself because I'll read something that I wrote and it doesn't look like anything I wrote. You know, like it doesn't look like my work. And I think St. Nachos is a little bit, I mean, it's really different from a lot of the things that I've written. Although I write a little bit more like that now, but it's, it's kind of, I really wanted it to make it atmospheric and lyrical. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I did. I think I did that. And it was, there's almost like a poetry to the words that I don't always have anymore. I think it was kind of edited out of me (laughs) a little bit and like, oh, he don't hit them over the head with more symbolism here, you know, kind of thing. And, and I, nobody, nobody stopped me in St. Notches. Nobody, nobody stepped on that at all. Nobody pulled me back from the edge. And I, and I'm, I think that worked. And I really liked the St. Nachos books on audio. I think those are the ones I can listen to. And I'm actually going to have to actively listen to them in order to get my, my head back in that headspace. Mm-hmm. But um, they, they did a really good job with those. And I was not surprised, but kind of really relieved, I think is a better way to put it. Because sometimes, you know, you, if you're listening to your own words out loud, you hear Every single time that like something you learned in the last five years has made an impression. Mm-hmm. And then you think, oh, I didn't need that dialogue tag there. Oh, yeah. ooh, I just get rid of all the justs. Or why did I get rid of all the that's or all the extraneous prepositions and things like that, that now are just second nature. But back then I did not have that skill. So it's it's interesting, and the evolution, I mean, I'm glad that I've evolved. It's just hard to go back. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Um, now, you said Home the Hard Way is your favorite oh, yeah. book. Yeah, it was, I think, one of my favorite to write. I think, first of all, I really liked the characters, and it it isn't a romance. It's absolutely a mystery i mean i we kind of put it in the romance character you know romance genre or whatever but it's it's not because the romance doesn't begin till the end of the book in a way i mean the characters are together at the end of the book and they're happily for now but they're they're not having a romance they're having um they're having some sex (laughs) and, (laughs) and they're having a relationship and it's evolving into a romance, but it is, you know, based on a whole bunch of different things that are not very romantic. And so at the end of the book, I, I guess I really liked the characters. I loved how they interacted. Um, I want to, I want to write more with them in it. And I, I would say it is probably one of the best written books I've ever, like, I mean, I think I did a good job of writing that one. Like, if I look at it skill-wise, possibly it might be. But I don't know. I mean, because people love it or they hate it. It's been mm-hmm. a very it's kind of controversial in the sense that people did not expect any BDSM from me and any, um, you know, bondage. or it, it, was, it was really just bondage. I mean, it wasn't pain or humiliation. Um, but I don't think people expected that from me, and it was quite a quite a shock for a lot of people. So, but I go where the character goes. Right. You know, I don't don't sit down to write a BDSM novel, you know. But if my character needs to be bound 
to feel safe, then I'm going to find them somebody to do that, you know, kind of thing. And I think that's what happened in that book. When I just, I created a character who was really feeling like he was in free fall. So he needed to be contained in a lot of ways. I just thought it worked, but some people, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It worked for me. (laughs) And that's all you can do. And then you you put it out there and and see what happens. Right. And that's what you hope for. You hope that when you're done with the book, you're proud of it. And then you have to walk away from it because it has a life of its own. I used to say when I first started, if 13 different people read my book, they've read 13 different books because it's like what they bring to the table Mm-hmm. is different than what I bring to the table. It's very collaborative. You don't think that when you first start writing, you think I'm going to write this book and everybody's going to know everything about what's going on in the book from the book itself. And and like they're going to remember my character names and they're going to know what they did for a living. And when I say this person and that person fell asleep in separate bedrooms, they're not going to imagine them together or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, we all know from fan fiction that's not so, right? <laughs> right. So um, what I realized was when I write a book, my reader comes and they bring their experience to that book and they are reading an entirely different book than what I wrote. And every single person has a different experience. So it's might as, you might as well have written as many books as you have readers. And as soon as I realized that, I thought, well, okay, today I can let this book go and just be whatever it is to whomever, because I don't have control over that part of it. The only part I have control over is the part that I do. And it's, that's the fun part for me. So the rest is just I, it's time for me to start writing another book. You know, it's not about once it's out there. I know I sound like that, that song. Did you ever hear about the song Tom Lehrer sings about Werner von Braun, he says, once they go up, who cares where they go down? I don't know. It's about (laughs) rockets. And um, I thought that's how I have to be with my books. I mean, I have to have the best experience that I can possibly have while I'm writing it because that will translate to the reader. And I have to love everything about it because that will translate to the reader. But then the rest is not up to me anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree on that. Want to get out there for folks. What's coming up for you in 2017? You mentioned obviously more Cowboys. And, right. And because of your, what's under contract, anything else right. that you can throw out there for what we can I look for? I have the Home the Hard Way sequel. And I have the sequel to Hell on Wheels. And you guys, I mean, oh my goodness. If anybody liked Nash from Hell on Wheels, this is Healy's story. Healy is Nash's identical twin. And, I mean, he was there in the Hell on Wheels book. And that's one of the Blue Water Bay series from Riptide. And um, he was, you know, he was part of that book. But now he gets his own book. And he's got his own adventure. So that will be coming out hopefully sometime in the spring. And uh, that's it. But I think that's like six books or four or five books. Anyway, lots of books coming out. So, but I just have to get cracking and write them and get them edited and get them out. Awesome. And what's the best way for people to keep up with you online so they can find all this stuff out as those books release? Well, I'm zamaxfield.com. And I'm also on Facebook and Twitter and and. And I have the Z.A. Maxfield author page on Facebook. And I also have a newsletter. And we call ourselves Club Zam. And the sign-ups for that are on my website. And they're all over. They're pop-ups. And they're, they're, (laughs) you you know, how we do. We try and, you know, snag you. And we offer you the opportunity to join Club Zam. And um, I don't spam a lot because, frankly, I don't have a lot of time to write newsletters. I'm so busy trying to write books. But um, I I do put out newsletter information, and I'm happy to have people just send me an email at zamaxfield at zamaxfield.com. Awesome. We will link up to your website and all the books and everything that we talked about in our show notes. 
Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been it's been great to have you on and and finally get to talk talk about so your books. Well, and it's been a blast talking to you too. I can't thank Zam enough for taking some time and talking to me for what went on for about an hour. Uh, that was kind of distilled down from some of the nuttiness that we had going on in that mm-hmm. interview. Uh, she's a great writer. I can highly encourage you to pick up the St. Nacho stuff and all everything will be linked up in the show notes. You can go find her books if she's un, if you're unfamiliar with her work or if you just need to catch up on some. Cool. I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. Coming up next week in episode 61, we have Lex Chase and she'll be here to talk about her entry in the Dream Spun States of Love series. Yeah. We'll see you next week. Have a good one. For detailed show notes and the complete episode backlist, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday on all major podcast distributors and YouTube. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.